you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I'm talking to Edward Nadimi, and he is a very interesting person. We have a lot to talk about. He is a board-certified dermatologist. He's a Mohs dermatologist. I think I said that right. Um, He is living in San Diego, California. He got his bachelor's at UVA. We actually ended up doing the same study abroad program, which is really cool. And then he got his master's at Georgetown. He got his doctorate at Eastern Virginia. So we got a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. I'm really excited to have you on the show. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Kara, for having me. And, uh, I'm eager to to chat and um, explore. Yeah. So let's start from the very beginning. What did you want to be when you grew up? Great question. Um, a lot of my patients, uh, you you mentioned that I'm a dermatologist and also a Mohs surgeon. So you were right. Um, a lot of my patients ask me, oh, you know, Dr. Nadimi, um, when did you know you want to be a doctor? And did you know early on? And I could trace back to maybe, I don't know, somewhere between six to seven years old. I was actually playing with Legos. And I remember kind of thinking to myself, I'd like to use my hands um, for something special. Um, And my mom being a dentist also kind of I would say that was kind of an inspiration for me to to go towards the uh, the path of using my hands, but in a way to help people. So um, I would say as early as six or seven years old, I knew that that was something that would um, drive me. Uh, and, you know, to this day, that's uh, kind of uh, where I am and where I'm headed. Um, rounding out my surgical training in the last six months. And that'll be nine years of training in, in medicine. And um, I'll start my career very shortly. Um, the other thing that's I'm very passionate about, and that has been something that, you know, at different points in my life has, I've been more and less serious about is music. And um, although I've never been a professional musician, I am exploring um, production of electronic music recently and Mm -hmm. I'm doing um, some DJing as well. That's been something I've been doing for many years now. But uh, I think these two passions of mine kind of in the science, sciences and arts kind of helps me stay balanced and um, enjoy my life. That's really cool. I can't wait to dive into that because I grew up going to concerts, going to crazy music festivals as a kid. So that's going to be a fun topic. I love that. Um, So you mentioned that your mom was a dentist. I always ask entrepreneurs that I interview if they have an entrepreneurial mindset. Is there kind of a, I want to say STEM mindset or a mindset that most people who, who become doctors, who become 
I don't know, who go into this career field have? Is there a mindset like that? I, uh, that's an interesting question. I think I've kind of, you know, observed my peers uh, in these nine years of training from, if you, if you count my master's, um, that's 10 years. Uh, so the master's, med school, internship, residency, and fellowship. I've kind of thought pretty long and hard about what kind of unites all these people together. What kind of, yeah, like you said, archetype or personality type, you know, is a commonality. And I honestly think one of them is being a risk averse person, interestingly. Hmm. Um, and that's something you actually want in your doctor. Um, because you don't want someone, you want someone who is able to assess risks and compare them to benefits and be able to do that for others the same way that they would do it for themselves. And I feel like that's a common thread amongst a lot of the uh, friends and colleagues I've, I've had uh, in my uh, medical career thus far. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the main attributes that, that I've found as a, as a commonality. Of course, there are outliers on either end. There are many entrepreneurial people within medicine who've got an MBA and go do different things like that. And that's fabulous. Um, yeah. Interesting. That's cool. So I want to dive in because I know you've had a lot of school. So let's dive from the very beginning. Let's talk about your work at UVA because I know you worked as an interpreter Let's talk, first let's go into Spanish. So you worked as an interpreter in the pediatrics department for Spanish. How were you able to kind of combine your love for the Spanish language with helping people with working in pediatrics? Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I came back from Valencia, Spain in 2007, I knew that one, Again, going back to the theme of, you know, trying to use some skill to help people in this particular circumstance, it was a language skill. I knew that I didn't want to lose the, um, the Spanish language um, knowledge and skills I had developed while living in Spain uh, to kind of cap off my um, studies in Spanish. So uh, I just went to the hospital and asked if they needed interpreters. And there was a formal test that you had to go through to confirm you know how to speak Spanish and medical Spanish and it was a great experience I think I volunteered there volunteered there um, once or twice a week for uh, it was either a year or maybe a year and a half and I really enjoyed it um, I think you know it's been quite a while but I think um, I ultimately getting I, I ultimately ended up getting some type of little fellowship or award for, for doing that and being involved in the Spanish studies program there at UVA. And ultimately it just comes down to one, for selfish reasons, I didn't want to lose my skills. And two, more importantly, I just got so much fulfillment. Um, I remember vividly like every day walking out of the pediatrics unit and being like, whoa, it's really fulfilling to be involved in caring for people. Um, and of course I was just a messenger in that position, just interpreting things, but I just 
envision myself in that role in in future years in my life and you know here I am now that's really cool let's talk about your experience at UVA because I I find it funny that we did the same program I think not 10 years apart because you did it 2006 right yep Yep. 2006 so I did mine in 2020 so I'm really bad that's more than 10 I'm so bad at math that's That's funny that's 14 years (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about your experience. What was it like living in Valencia? Tell me about it. Oh, oh man. Uh, a time that I will never forget. Um, <clears throat> I'm still in touch with several of the people that I studied abroad with, you know, 14 years later. Um, during the COVID pandemic, we even had several like Zoom happy hours to catch up with maybe 20 or so of us. Um, so, you know, I kind of sidetracked there because I'm always excited to talk about my friends that I made in Spain, but it was such a fabulous experience for me. Um, I went to Spain to kind of for two reasons. Most importantly was I wanted to kind of explore a new culture and kind of get out of the, the typical American college experience with frat life and things like that. Those weren't necessarily things that I felt I ever fit into. Um, you know, I held nothing against them, but I just felt like I want to try something new and different. And my Spanish advisor, because I um, declared a um, Spanish and biology double major, my Spanish advisor said, Ed, I know what you have to do. You have to take your physics this summer so that you can go to Spain all of next semester. And this is Professor Fernando Opere. He's like the director of the program. And he said, this program has been around for 25 years. I started it. Everyone who goes loves it. And you're going to make memories for a lifetime. And I I think I called my parents that night. I was like, "Uh, I'm doing this. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was a decision that was made in... um, like maybe April or May 2006 and I was uh, I arrived in Valencia in August Um, so it was six months uh, a little more than a semester because my parents came and visited me after and we went and toured around Spain it was just a fabulous time where I got to um, not only uh, explore Spain and the Spanish culture but I made some amazing friends from UVA and also other colleges around the country, for example, yours that participate in this program. Mm -hmm. Um, And so actually my best friend from the program, um, (laughs) some of our colleagues, some of the the people, the students in the program gave us a nickname because we were like really tight, me and this one guy. So it was Ed and the other guy's name was Carrie. So they'd call us Edry. <laughs> Aww. So we'd do everything cool. together. He he would he would come to my uh, window like he would as he was walking in the morning to the bus. He'd stop by my window and say, "Ed, come down. Let's go to the bus." Like I knew that that was my cue. Sometimes he'd be waiting at the window for a solid five or ten minutes <laughs> while I woke up. Um. And I'm still in touch with him to this day. Um, it's just a fabulous experience. And study abroad 
I think is almost always a good choice. Yeah. Where did you stay in Valencia? Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, Calle Honorato Juan Trece Tres. So <laughs> it was, yeah, I still remember the exact address. I, I stayed with a Peruvian lady. Oh. And yeah, she was a uh, widow, recently widowed. And so she had her adult daughter and son come home every day for lunch. And I could participate in that. It was great. Mm-hmm. And the house was near the Plaza de España, if you remember where that was. Okay, I don't. I lived in Rusafa, if you know where that is. I don't know if it was I, as good, though, because it. I think it turned at like 2010. I think it started like getting really good. But I lived in uh, one of the coolest neighborhoods. With like really? all the nightlife. Yeah, we had all the nightlife. And then we had, I just got a little taste of Fias. So it was a mm. really fun experience. But yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I've yeah. never seen Las Fias because I was there in the fall. Yep. Um, so cool. yeah, it's funny. I was just reading about Valencia um, because it was featured in um, the, uh, it was either Bloomberg or like Business Times that, Many people are kind of eschewing large cities and moving to some of the smaller, like third or fourth largest cities in various countries. And Valencia was the number one city people are moving to right now because of COVID. Interesting. I and they it. mentioned Rusafa being like a top neighborhood. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a cool place. I, I miss it so much, but I could see myself living there. I don't so know. Could I. <laughs> I was going to ask about that for dermatology. Can you live internationally? Yeah. Um, so it all depends on kind of what you want out of your career in life, but um, being a American trained physician, it's, it's probably, you know, I haven't looked at into it too much, but it's probably much, or I know as a fact, it's definitely much easier to go from America to any other country. Hmm. as opposed to vice versa. When you come from another country, you actually have to take all of the exams again. You have to take those uh, really, really onerous, burdensome exams that medical students and residents have to take. They're basically four exams and uh, they take years to study for essentially. So um, going the opposite direction, it is definitely possible to do and it's a little less formal of a process. So, you know, that's something I've thought about off and on in my life of could I blend my my love for Spain with my skill set? And, you know, I treat skin cancer every day and mm-hmm. people sunbathe in Spain very much. So <laughs> uh, it could be a win-win. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Let's that's dive into dermatology. Cause okay. I don't, I don't know much about it. I get a sunburn a lot. I burn a lot. So can you tell me a little bit about it? Why, why did you gravitate toward it? And then what should we be worried about my generation? Sure. Um, all right. Well, you asked me two questions. Why did I choose dermatology? And then what should um, your generation be worried about? By the way, are you a I'm forgetting the different generations. Are you a Gen Z or a Gen Y? I'm Gen Z. So I am the youngest, I think, of everyone. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So I'll have some particular advice for your generation. Um, 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> I gravitated towards dermatology actually very late in medical school, which is kind of unheard of because it's a relatively competitive field that people begin to prepare their applications for years in advance. Like some people already know before going to medical school that they want to do dermatology and dermatology only and their, their hopes and dreams are all set on that. And I kind of came to discover it right at the end of medical school. Um, And that's because I uh, didn't really know the extent of surgery that I could do in dermatology. And when I discovered that I could really do exactly what I wanted, which was kind of a very intricate, um, detail oriented type of, uh, surgery using a microscope. Um, and the entire field of dermatology is very detail oriented. Um, it's had the main thing about dermatology training is it takes years just to learn its vocabulary because it's so complex. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, It has over 2000 diagnoses, the the field of dermatology. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's really the difficulty in in learning dermatology and becoming a board certified dermatologist. But for me, the real fascination was having all that knowledge and then being able to use my knowledge of pathology and what skin looks like under the microscope to treat skin cancers. Um, So that's kind of how I gravitated towards it. The advice I have for Generation Z and pretty much anyone under the age of 40 is access to information um, and reputable information. Um, In this day and age, someone could go on TikTok and portray themselves as an expert in the skin with no expertise at all and in fact could lead people astray to either harm their skin or you know lead them to whether it's a website where they make money off of that etc so my advice or kind of warning is that people go to school for a long time to learn one very particular thing and devote their life to it so I think it's best to trust those specific people who are trained in that. And dermatology is probably the number one field in social media that's kind of being kind of leached on or parasitized parasitized by uh, people who don't really have that knowledge, but are, you know, making some kind of money off of portraying uh, some expertise. As it relates to burning you got to wear SPF 50 every day on your face, on your ears and on like the outside of your arms. I've seen so many people who later regret, you know, not having done that as a kid, but you know, for old people, they didn't have that. It wasn't a common thing to be told to do that. In fact, they would like put mineral oil to enhance their tan (laughs) and things like that. But our generation and your generation You know, it's common knowledge that the number one risk factor for skin cancer is um, sun exposure. And, you know, we do really, really large surgeries on people's faces, around their eyelids, on their nose, lip, ears, uh, all over their body for things that could be avoidable. Uh, I'm not saying that you don't go out and live a full life, but protection, protection, protection. And 
there is a controversy right now as it relates to the coral reef and whether sunscreen ingredients can damage it. Um, but my suggestion is to use a physical sunscreen block like titanium or um, zinc. And those are just metals, meaning they will not, those are not uh, uh, harmful to coral reef. So <laughs> physical sunscreen, SPF 50 or higher, and uh, you won't regret it. Cool. Thanks for the advice. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the biggest scam you see right now? Because that's really interesting that you bring that up. Is there something where you're like, this is horrible. Don't listen to that at all. Um, I can't think of one particular thing because I'm not really on much social media. I just, mm -hmm. I see it from the perspective of hearing it, hearing about it from my colleagues and such. Uh, I would say one of the biggest things, I wouldn't call it a scam, but I would call it a, um, I would say that people going to see someone about their skin should know who they are seeing, hmm. meaning they should know they're seeing a board certified dermatologist not and if they're seeing someone else that's fine whether they're seeing a mid-level provider like a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant but that should be made clear very clearly um mm -hmm. and that's because you know you can make false assumptions about the training level of training and expertise of the person if you don't know what their training is and the, the, the i would say that's one thing that's not a scam that's just a uh full kind of disclosure thing that um, patients should really look up their, the, the provider that is seeing them, whether it's a physician or not a physician. Good advice. Good to know. Cool. Yeah. Let's um, change the subject a little bit. Cause I know you've traveled a lot. I know you went to Spain. Yeah. I didn't mm -hmm. do a ton of research on where else you've been. Cause I kind of wanted <laughs> to leave it up to you. So where have you been? <laughs> sure. I, um, great question. I've done most of my traveling in Europe and Asia. Uh, my kind of love affair with Europe started with that uh, Spain trip, uh, the study abroad program in Valencia. And so I found myself back in Europe every year for about five years, six years, wow. um, starting around 2007. Um, so, you know, some of my favorite places uh, in Europe include uh, Berlin um, and Amsterdam. I find them to be really nice kind of capsules of advanced European culture. And um, I just really enjoy the, the vibe there. I also have traveled in uh, Japan, in Korea and Hong Kong most recently. I went to Hong Kong for um, a concert. In fact, I went all the way to Hong Kong for a concert <laughs> uh, by my favorite, favorite musical group above and beyond in 2018. Okay. I've never heard of them. That was, yeah, they're, they're uh, in the kind of trance to house music world. Okay. And um, actually Hong Kong is probably my favorite city that I've ever been to. Wow. Uh, I kind of 
the way I put it is like, it's New York with friendlier people, people and better, cheaper food. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's um, awesome. And, and now that I'm in San Diego, I'm actually doing a lot of traveling within like the Southwest. Uh, I just came back from Joshua Tree National Park. Um, I recently, uh, you know, went up uh, the coast of California. Uh, I intend to go to like uh, Death Valley and just kind of explore areas that I may not be able to explore so easily in the future. That's really cool. I like that you've turned COVID into kind of a way to find more adventures and go go more places. If you ever get yeah. a chance to go to New Mexico, you should check out the, uh, it's called the Balloon Fiesta, but they have hot oh. air balloons. And that was one of the coolest, I guess, first desert experiences I've ever been to. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. As I was driving to Joshua Tree this past weekend, I saw hot air balloons for the first time and I was like, wow, that, that is breathtaking. Yeah, that's really cool. Let's talk about that. What, what is the most surreal experience you've had in a travel experience? Uh, one of the funniest and kind of surreal experiences I've had was in 2000 and let me see here. In 2010, I went to visit one of my best friends uh, who's a professional poker player, but he, uh, wow. yeah, he was, he was doing his study abroad in Berlin. Okay. And I went to visit him again. Our trip revolved around going to a great concert. I kind of, <laughs> I, I tend to do that as I travel for music once or twice a year. Cool. Um, but we were on a train from Berlin to Prague, I believe, or vice versa, I can't recall, but it was an overnight train. Hmm. And um, we were in a cart on the train with a European couple. And we were watching the movie Eurotrip while in the train. And in the movie itself, there is a scene in a train in Europe. And it was almost this surreal, like life meets art kind of thing. Cause there is a really funny scene with Fred Armisen in it, where every time the train goes through a, a tunnel where it gets dark, he moves closer and closer to this victim of his that he's going to kind of creepily hit on. But it was just hilarious that we were sitting in a train in a cart with these two Europeans who were super friendly and strangers to us. And we were all watching this movie Eurotrip on a laptop in the middle of uh, like between Berlin and Prague. And it was, I still remember it to this day as being like one of the most kind of surreal moments for me. And we still talk about um, the Miss Boozy uh, part of Fred <laughs> Armisen in that movie. So if you ever see it, it's hilarious. I should check it out. That's awesome. Let's dive yeah. into your concert travels because that's something I don't hear a lot about these days. What What is your <laughs> favorite concert you've ever been to? Actually, that trip uh, and that concert, it was called Trance Energy 2010. Hmm. It was in Utrecht, Netherlands, maybe 45 minutes away from Amsterdam. And again, Above and Beyond was there. It was my first ever electronic music experience. And 
at that point in my life, I was getting really into um, the idea of attending um, these shows. So this was the first show that I went to. And honestly, I almost ruined it for myself because that show was kind of a, it's kind of known as a legendary show in the history of like trans music is mm. that uh, particular um, concert, you know, it's an all night event with multiple rooms in a massive kind of convention center type of vibe and um, above and beyond played there and cosmic gate and Armin van Buren okay. and um, some of the other kind of musical heroes of mine at that time, uh, Marcus Schultz and Simon Patterson, Sean Tyus. I know these are all names that you might not recognize, but very much <laughs> big names in this very niche field of, of trance music. So well, that's probably my favorite concert ever. That's amazing. I love it. I should start traveling. Once concerts come back, I'm going to start traveling for concerts. I think that's an amazing experience. Absolutely. Really cool. Okay. I have one final question that I ask all my guests and I really love it now because we actually talk about travel, which is something I don't usually do a lot of these days, but if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? If I could go anywhere in the world, where would I not go? Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm going to have to ponder this one for a second. <laughs> um, Well, I think that question is interesting because it requires like two assumptions. One is that you you know what is bad or where you wouldn't want to go. And two, that it's always bad to return to somewhere that you've been before because you want to keep exploring other places. And Actually, it kind of touches on part of my personality. If I really like something, I just want to keep doing it again. Like if I really like going to Hong Kong, I might go back. So um, I would actually say where would I not want to go would probably be (laughs) um, I would say somewhere that uh, makes me feel unsafe. That's, mm. that's what I would say. And I don't have an answer to where that might be um, because I always like exploring different places or even going back to places I love. But if the vibe of the place, the city, the town, the country isn't, you know, I'm not feeling safe, whether it's due to COVID or, um, or not, I would say that. So I don't know where it would be, maybe a ward war-torn country is the only place I can think of maybe somewhere in the Middle East right now is not where I'd want to go I'm I'm Persian by heritage so that kind of pains me to to think about but probably somewhere in the Middle East right now till things settle down and then uh hopefully be able to explore that area of the world more in the future Good answer. You really dove deep into that one. You kind of covered yeah. every response that I've gotten because I've had the people who are like, oh, I don't want to go to places I've never been. But I've also had people, I had a veteran on, she was like, if I can one day, I'd want to take my kids back to where I was stationed in Iraq. Like that sounds really amazing. So mm-hmm. great answer. I think you had one of my Thank best you. answers. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for being I, on I the show. To... Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate um 
being able to to share a little bit and thanks for being interested in people and their stories it's really cool what you're doing and i wish you the best of luck thank you thank you so much all right bye this is my interview with dr edward nadimi dermatologist traveler music fanatic he is such a fascinating guy and i had so much fun talking to him especially because we did the same study abroad program i think this podcast episode really shows just how a person can be multifaceted and use their passions for good ed really cares about serving others and helping others through his work but he also loves traveling and meeting others and i think this is something that it's nice to hear about during covid so If you liked this podcast, I would love to hear what you think. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, pretty much anywhere. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yeah, I can't wait to see where you go. Bye, guys. Thank you.